Would it be right, wrong, or hilarious to try and milk some profits out of climate change? And on that note, do you want to hear more about Ocean Hot Pot? I'm Angus Stewart, and you're listening to the Translated Chinese Fiction Podcast. Before we jump right in, I've got a wee fun piece of news. Matt Turner, the guest and translator from the last episode, got back to me to let me know which song he'd pair with uh, his translation of Weeds by Lu Shun. If you remember, I prompted him to give me something, and he gave a very cunning and pretentious answer that actually no music could really describe uh, Lushun's work. But he's since gone back on that, and he sent me a wee, wee link on Twitter to the song Shaking Hell by Sonic Youth. So again, there's that idea of hell, and the song in general kind of fits this like mood of like creepiness. It's tense, it's very downbeat. Excellent choice, Matt Turner. Thanks for getting back to us, and thanks for the wee recommendation out there for anyone who's not discovered the joys of Sonic Youth. It was a slightly more mature choice than my Incubus track, but I love Incubus, so I won't apologise. So we've reached episode 12. I've finished my dissertation on Chinese sci-fi, and I've left Edinburgh. I'm back in my hometown of Dundee, recording this in my mum's dining room, because I'm a very cool guy, and my dog is just curled up nearby. So publishers of Scotland and the UK, if you're hiring nerds, uh, Chinese fiction nerds specifically, uh, I'd recommend myself to you. Everyone else, if you'd like to help support this show and help me cover the hosting costs, then there's two places I would direct you to. There's the Patreon, where you can give a wee monthly contribution and unlock access to um, little bonus shows that I record uh, with each episode. I've done one on a short story by Ai I've done one on my own little dissertation. And I'm thinking for this one, on the theme of leaving Edinburgh, I'll do a rundown of some of the best uh, Chinese restaurants I've been to in Edinburgh, because there's some crackers. And if you happen to be visiting for... Probably not this year's Fringe, we're probably a bit too late for that, but if you're dropping in for next year's Fringe Festival and you want to escape the crowds, I'll have some pointers. Those will be on the Patreon. If you don't like Patreon on monthly donations, there's also uh, our Buy Me A Coffee page where you can give a one-off donation. All links will be in the show notes. So that's just about enough begging for money, I think. Let's get on with the show. Our fiction today is a play. I believe that fiction doesn't have to be prose, it can also be theatre. So the play is Ocean Hot Pot, written by Chen Se'an, translated by Jeremy Tiang, and put on by the Royal Court Theatre of London. It was part of the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, just one of many productions put on by English people as they increase their uh, proportion of occupation of Scotland's capital from about half up to seven-eighths. That's pretty much how the Fringe works, that's my hot take. But yeah, um, it was part of a, a series of plays Royal Court put on for the Fringe called a Climate Crisis Plays or Hashtag Climate Crisis, something like that. And it was lots of plays from all writers from all over the world. Uh, We got Belgium, there was a Brazilian lady who was resident in Belgium, there was an Indian one, a South African one, and Chen That's not a complete list. I'm not sure if the other plays were written in English or whether they're translated, but certainly in this case, this was written by Chen Sa'an in Chinese and then translated into English by Jeremy Tiang and performed exclusively in English. And it was only on for one day 
August 13th. I don't think it's going to play any other time in the UK in English. Possibly, possibly that's it. This might be the only performance of the play. I don't know. Uh, the tickets were free. Uh, you did have to book yourself a ticket. Uh, supposedly they um, they all booked up and there was no more, but at the actual performance, maybe only about half or even less than half of the seats were filled. So uh, whether people were booking tickets and not showing up or whether the logistics were just badly done, I'm not sure. I can say there was some sort of a miscommunication because the date changed. I believe Ocean Hot Pot was originally listed as being on on August 15th and then it switched places with another play to the 13th and the names were mixed up and I had to go through a minor, a minor hell uh, phoning up the fringe box office to sort my ticket out. So um, yes, ranting aside, let's uh, get on to Chen Sa'an, our author. Who is she? So she's a fairly young writer and she's from Inner Mongolia province. So the province of China, which is considered a special autonomous Mongolian region. Interesting fact about Inner Mongolia. It's got more ethnically Mongolian people than the nation of Mongolia itself. Possibly just because it's more economically developed, so the population has increased more. Don't know. Uh, Chen Sa'an is herself half Han Chinese, half Mongolian, one of China's many ethnicities or nationalities as they're known. That kind of comes into the play itself in a way, um, that the region of Inner Mongolia and I don't know if you can call it Mongolian culture, but Mongol the concerns of the people of Inner Mongolia versus the concerns of the rest of China and the different regions. That's an interesting dynamic in the play for sure. So uh, I went looking for information about Chen Sa'an online. She has a very nice website, which is almost entirely in Chinese, although there is some English there. Um, I learned she's got a collection of short stories. I think she might have an... No, she's got a collection of novellas and then some collections of short stories. But I think primarily she's a playwright and she's had lots of things put on in Chinese in China. She has put on a play before with Royal Court London. It was part of some sort of a, a project or a workshop of various Chinese playwrights who all came to London. Uh, the name of her first translated English play was The Underpass, and now she's on Ocean Hot Pot. And from what I can tell, Ocean Hot Pot's a bit more, it's got more comedy to it than The Underpass. Yes, that's Chen Sa'an. She's also got an account on Medium, uh, the blogging website, which has, I believe it's some of her short stories, but it's in a, it's all in simplified Chinese. Um, so if you can't read Chinese stories, if your Chinese level is not that high like mine, there won't be a lot for you there, but if you can read Chinese, there's some of her work uh, written and available for free on a, on Medium. So yes, that's our writer. Our translator is Jeremy Tiang. Now, he's been mentioned on the show before, uh, at least once. He's a guy I've met. Um, I met him at the London Book Fair uh, once, basically. I, I've, I don't need to go over that again. That's all on the London Book Fair episode. But suffice to say, he's a charming fellow and he made me laugh. And I think he's got quite a good sarcastic sense of humour. But uh, who actually is he as a professional? So um, he's a Singaporean writer and translator. Um, he's got two books out in English. Um, he's got It Never Rains on National Day, which is a collection of short stories about Singaporeans. And he's got State of Emergency, which is um, a novel, quite a literary novel, you might say. It goes through like decades of history uh, around Malaysia and Singapore. Jeremy, if you're listening and I've just horribly misrepresented your um, novel, then please do get in touch and scold me because you're the boss. So uh, Jeremy Tiang's done lots of translations to uh, mostly novels and other literary works. Well, I say literary. There's a fair bit of what you might call literature 
Um, there's also genre fiction in there, and the kind of star, his star translation, you might say, is a autobiographical work by Jackie Chan. It seemed like looking through his wee list of translations, there's about as much stuff from Hong Kong as there is from mainland China. So I'm speaking very broadly here because my knowledge is very surface level. But um, stuff in Hong Kong, Hong Kong is a Cantonese-speaking place. Uh, mainland China is for the most part Mandarin-speaking. But uh, the 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 two, when they're written down, the only real difference is well, the only key difference is uh, Cantonese. Hong Kong Cantonese would be in traditional Chinese, and Mandarin, quote unquote, would be in a uh, simplified Chinese. But I reckon if, if you, um, like Jeremy, you could read the traditional characters, then you could translate from both. I don't think I've said anything grievously wrong there. But yeah, um, another really cool piece of translated work, uh, translated writing that Jeremy Tang had translated, which you can read for free on Read Paper Republic, uh, Paper Republic's website, is a couple of series of little non-fiction pieces uh, called March on Beijing, part one and part two, by the Pisun Writers Group, which was basically a little writers group. Um, I'm not sure who put it together, but the members were workers, Chinese working class people working in factories in Pisun. I do not know where Pisun is. I, I plead, plead ignorance on that part. But yeah, just an incredibly cool thing available to read online for free. Definitely worth checking out. A worthy project an interesting project on all counts. Yes. So that's enough about Jeremy Tiang for now. Um, on to Ocean Hot Pot itself. So I'm just going to describe my impressions from sitting down and watching the play because um, unlike a book, this isn't something I can open up and go back to. I'm just going off my memories and the notes I jotted down on the day of seeing it. So uh, the director of the play, he was a white guy, uh, English guy, pretty sure he was from the North, North, nice Northern English accent. And before the show start, or before the play started, he gave like some quick context. He set the scene for us, as it might perhaps be written in, in the stage directions, because they just had a very minimal kind of circular space that our chairs were um, set out around. In the middle of the floor was a table, and the context he gave us was basically, we're in the... Uh, we're in the patent's office uh, of the... Uh, I have their name. I have their name in Chinese. I forgot their name in English. But basically, the patent copyright organization for China were in their office. There's a young man, kind of scruffy looking, approaching an older man about his idea. And that's the context we were given. And I think it had been kind of planned and set up not too long before the production. Because both the actors who were performing were reading from... Well, they were the, the, the scripts that they were going off of had been sneaked in as props. So um, there is a, a younger character who's presenting his um, pitch. He has this ocean hot pot pitch, but then various other pitches, ideas for kind of either profiting off or dealing with climate change on pieces of paper, which were in fact the script that the actor was reading from. And then the other, um, the older actor who's uh, the bureaucrat working at the copyrights office, he had like his kind of paperwork documents that he was shuffling around, but that was also the script the guy was reading off. Unless, of course, it wasn't, but they were their eyes were kind of jumping back and forth between each other and the paper. So yeah, um, that gave it kind of a DIY feel. It didn't really interfere with the enjoyment. I think it did kind of highlight the fact these things have been workshopped and put together quite recently. Oh, I should also say uh, Chen Sa'an was in attendance. She was in the audience. Um, she did a Q&A afterwards, but I um, you know, having prepared fully, I knew what she looked like because her picture was on the um, Edinburgh Fringe website. So I spotted her uh, in in the audience. Jeremy Tiang was not there. 
just the just the, the the offer herself. As I was kind of hinting at before, the story is we have a young man and he's from Inner Mongolia, Chen Sa'an's home province, and he's coming to the patent's office to propose Ocean Hot Pot. And what Ocean Hot Pot is, it's uh, he's singled out an island in the South China Sea, so off of China's south coast, far, far away from Inner Mongolia. And he wants to set up a hot pot restaurant there that will launch when the ocean becomes so boiled that you can just cook your meat fresh out of the ocean water. And he describes it in all the kind of detail and love for delicious food you might expect from a character in a young character in a Chinese play about hot pot. It had me getting flashbacks for sure. Uh, so yeah, that's that's the um, the pitch and. Chen Sa'an in her Q&A afterward said that she kind of got this idea by doing, or she got the contents of the, the play and this young man's schemes by doing her own research into applications to the China's uh, patent agency. And she was quite impressed at the enthusiasm and quote unquote in innovativeness, innovativeness, innovation, innovative, innovative spirit, anyway, of, of the young uh, Chinese people trying to come up with ideas for climate change. And she saw the kind of, I think, Basically, the idea was there was a ridiculousness to some of the proposals, but also an ambition and uh, good in good intentions. Because although um, this main idea, the ocean hot pot idea, it's this young man with a scheme to kind of just profit and launch a business, the ideas that follow are ones about trying to save the climate. And the kind of first twist we get is that the young man has a very, very good heart and yeah, the kind of the kind of the, the interesting drama of the play is the twists and turns the the two characters take, looking at like their their optimism and their cynicism and their what they think can work, what they think won't work when it comes to dealing with climate change. So yeah, the drama of the play, as I've written down in my notes here, um, the two characters they kind of accuse each other of various faults a lot. So the bureaucrat says this and that about the the young man. You know, you're not realistic. You're you're greedy. You're not thinking things through and the young man says you know what are you doing what what ideas are you taking on why are you shutting me out and then later when the um bureaucrat kind of changes his mind the young man's like why are you why are you messing me about why why is your mind changed so yeah lots of um kind of sparking sparring back and forth between the characters uh, and finally towards the end they come to some kind of understanding and it's actually yeah the idea the ocean hot pot idea Spoilers, uh, it gets approved, but I, it's been so long and I didn't note down exactly what the ending was, I forgot. Suffice to say, it was quite a funny play, it got pretty insightful at points, and it really at various points did raise the alarm about the shit that mankind's heading into. It kind of underlined for me that the climate thing is a crisis, it's ongoing, it's happening, and it, a lot of it can't be undone. So when I was a kid it was called climate change, it was something that was coming, and I think we can see it arriving now, it's happening. And the play underlined that, and I'm sure a lot of the other cri climate crisis plays at the Fringe probably were on the same theme. It's here. We're, we're heading into the new era, the era where young people maybe are going to be proposing, you know, ways to profit off the increased temperature, harnessing the energy in some way. Waffling uh, aside, I'm going to say a few things about how the Q&A went for Chan Sa'an and the audience. So, just to plug myself here, I was the one who popped my hand up first and asked the first question, just because no one else was doing it. So I asked about her um, collaboration slash correspondence with uh, the translator, Jeremy Tiang, just asking how much, if at all, did you two work together on this? Or did you just give him the Chinese version and then he whacked you back, the English version? But she said, um, 
yes. So first thing she did was talk about Tiang's background or Jeremy's background, uh, the fact that he's um, Singaporean Chinese. So they have um, some common ground and Jeremy also kind of serves as a quote unquote bridge to the West. He's got um, in Singapore, you have Chinese and Western culture fused, plus the fact that I think Jeremy Tiang lives in New York these days. I think that helps too. So she sent him the Chinese draft, he translated it, and then they went through the English draft together because Chen San speaks pretty good English. I think her English is better than she caveated it as being at the start. Um, probably not good enough to be writing her plays in English, but I'm pretty sure easily good enough to go through uh, Jeremy Tiang's drafted translation. So as they were going through it, she told us um, they were thinking about like, what to localize and what to preserve. So basically for the cultural references, um, if it's too obscure and only the Chinese uh, audiences are going to get it, you swap it for something more familiar or you tweak it in some way. But then that comes at some of the, the cost of authenticity. This, this is not very uh, original thoughts on vo issues I'm voicing here. I think this is something every translator, especially from Chinese to English or English to, to Chinese, would have to do. Or no, probably most so from Chinese to English because the Western world's not familiar with Chinese culture, but China's pretty familiar with Western pop culture and even Western classical culture to some extent. Okay, uh, waffling aside. So there was one reference to something something Western and I was pondering whether or not it had begun as something completely different and Chinese that they changed and I didn't get a chance to ask, but there was a, a reference to Elon Musk's spaceships and his SpaceX program and I wondered was that written into the Chinese version? Would Chinese audiences and Chinese people know an awful lot about Elon Musk? Or had it originally been referencing something else? Didn't ask. But yeah, Chen San also said that um, the director and the actors made some contributions to the play. Maybe the, some of the lines got tweaked slightly. And I suppose that would have been pretty recently, given the kind of punk rock, shall we say, um, feel that the production had. After my questions, you know, other people ask questions too. Other people are important. They were mostly from older audience members, and they were all flipping English. Ah! I know I'm, I sound like I'm a whingy Scottish person, but yeah, uh, Edinburgh Fringe is not really a Scottish festival, guys. But yeah, uh, so it was older English people asking certain questions, and as one might expect from older uh, people when it comes to Chinese things, they were basically just trying to poke certain to answer things about China's authoritarian system. You know, the, the logic goes, uh, China bad, Communist Party bad, and if they're bad, they, they're not going to do anything about climate change. So they were asking her if the authoritarian system is flexible enough to deal with climate change, uh, is flexible enough for local government to do things independently of the central government to deal with climate change. Uh, and she's basically at every turn said, yes. Um, it, it seems like common sense, really. There's nothing particular to democracy that makes it better at dealing with climate change. It's maybe better at responding to uh, the, the masses, the people, their specific needs. But um, as we've seen, as a voter, you don't have to vote for people who are going to deal with climate change. You can elect climate change deniers, in fact. This, this got raised by the um, director at the end of the Q&A, who said, yeah, basically, which country has, major country, has just pulled out of the biggest international agreements for dealing with climate change. It's not China, it's the United States. It's what we're led to believe is democracy number one. Shaking my head right now, guys, shaking my head. But yeah, uh, so there, there was another question from one of these old English people on whether Sa'an was concerned about how she was presenting China when she was writing. Does the nation need to look good or bad? 
And she kind of didn't answer that question directly. I don't think that was her concern when writing. What she did talk about in response to that question was just the kind of the way casting is done um, in China versus the UK, which I thought was an interesting one. Told me some things I didn't necessarily know. She she said that the Royal Court's wish, so this British production company, theatre company, whatever, they wanted East Asian uh, British actors playing Chinese people. So our setting for our play was in China, but we had British people who look Chinese effectively speak in English, but talking in a Chinese context. And she said this wouldn't necessarily happen in China uh, when a foreign play gets brought in and translated to Chinese. They often localize the whole thing. Or um, there's a declining practice um, where you would do like whiteface, where Chinese actors would, would, I don't know, put on some makeup, uh, wear a blonde wig or something. And she, she described it as quite odd and weird and it sounds it. I have an anecdote relevant to this where um, when I was living in Shanghai, my fellow teacher, Adam, Yadang, an American, his Chinese name was Yadang. So Adam told me, oh, good news. I've got tickets for a play. It's uh, R. Ma, uh, Lao Shu's story, Mr. Ma and Son. And good news, it'll have English subtitles so we can enjoy it. And I was like, oh, sweet. Yeah, I'll go with you to that. We went and there was um, there was no subtitles. The whole thing was in Mandarin and what I kind of suspected or wondered at various points but didn't actually realize whilst watching is that Mr. Man's Son is a story about a Chinese father and son setting up a business in London. Uh, But all the actors in the play were Chinese. They kept the setting as as London, but they didn't do any kind of weird whiteface stuff. They had... um, They had... A church minister, I believe. There was there was Christianity, there was Western clothes and fashion, but I just thought it was set in old Shanghai because you would have had all those things in old Shanghai. And yeah, interesting case study into me being a stupid foreigner with my pal Adam. I'll, I'll have to make sure that he gets a message so I can make him listen to this and shame him because um, God damn it, what an embarrassing time that was. Just We, we should have left, we should have bailed halfway through, but no, we stuck it out the whole time and um, probably made everyone sitting around us think we could uh, understand the whole thing, which of course we could not. So as I was watching um, Chen Sa'an's play, a few little stories and little media articles that I read during my time in China were kind of popping into my head. Um, I was able to recall five of them uh, that I think I'll just run through for this show because they're all kind of related to uh, pollution and climate change in China and cunning ideas for either adapting to it or trying to stop it or just responding to it. So uh, the first one, chronologically, is from 2014, and it was when in Beijing, schools and various institutions and buildings with areas to protect were planning or actually building domes around themselves. I think this was particularly popular for uh, primary schools with younger or kindergartens uh, with younger children who wanted to, whose parents and guardians wanted to keep them safe from the extremely bad air Beijing was getting. And then there's a story from next year, uh, 2015 where an artist uh, by the name of Nut Brother, um, Jian Guo Xiongdi, you could also maybe translate that as Nut Bro. He has a real name as well. Let me just check what it was. Uh, Wang something. Wang Renzhen. Zheng. Wang, Wang Renzhen, or Nut Brother, was just going around Beijing with a vacuum cleaner, pointing the vacuum cleaner at the air, hoovering up all the smog particles, and he was able to use all his kind of takings, as it were, to make a brick, a uh, a single brick just made out of pollution. 
he might have been making multiple bricks, I don't remember. But again, this was all kind of done during the high point of Beijing air pollution, because in 2016, um, the government realized that this was going to be a problem for them, as well as for the people of Beijing, if they didn't do something. So they ordered factories around Beijing to either close or vastly reduce their um, pollution by maybe changing or economizing or modernizing their equipment. I think the uh, victims, as it were, the factories that were most likely to be closed down were the older ones, or the ones using the dirtiest fuel, or the oldest, least efficient equipment that would um, release more gases because they had less efficient reactions burning their fuel, so the more CO2 and even more nasty gases would be emitting from those uh, older factories. Uh, the year after that, 2017, there was a reverse on the coal ban that had been implemented in the north. Um, in China, the south does not get central heating, it just gets, you can only have a simple kind of electric um, aircon and heater thing, but in the north, because it gets so extremely cold, they're allowed, um, uh, what you call it, um, proper heating. And the coal ban in the north in 2017 actually kind of disrupted the heating in lots of homes uh, in the north and it left residents absolutely freezing so they had to reverse that coal ban. I don't know if they reversed it all the way but it was something of a failed policy because they hadn't changed the heating infrastructure I suppose to um, accommodate the ban. And then this, that same year uh, there was a more light-hearted story. There is a field of solar panels that have been built somewhere in China, which was shaped like a panda. You can find it online if you go looking for it. I believe on one episode of the podcast Two White Chicks in China, they talk about it. That's how I know about it. Yeah, so those are all the little um, stories related to Ocean Hotpot I could find. I'm sure if you go digging, you can find even more kind of zany ideas and reactions and policies in China to climate change. But yeah, hope you enjoyed those little nuggets. So just a few more um, of my own thoughts about the play. The actors were both pretty excellent, I would say, playing roles that really fitted the, the script. The older guy, the voice he was doing, he went for kind of like your upper class English, not comedically so, but like quite a prim and proper accent like you might expect from someone of the civil service. The younger guy, um, it was a bit more of an interesting thing because his character is supposed to be a bit of a country bumpkin, as well as this uh, from this minority ethnic group from the autonomous Inner Mongolian region. So the English accent he went for was kind of like a West Country accent, you know, a little bit like that, uh, a little bit like uh, Sam from Lord of the Rings. Um, but he wasn't quite consistently doing it all the way through. I suspect being an actor from the south of England, his natural accent is actually a bit posh. So that was a good idea, not um, not uniformly. Uh, pulled off, maybe given the lack of uh, practice time they had. Uh, I certainly, if I do a silly voice, I can't keep it up more than a minute or two without lapsing into either my own voice or some weird kind of neighbouring accent. I'm sure you might be familiar with that phenomenon. Yeah. Uh, another wee interesting thought, also tied into like regions and ethnicity. So like I said, Chen Sa'an, is, um, she's half Mongolian herself from Inner Mongolia, and in the play, the younger character, when he gets a bit heartfelt. That's the wrong word. When he gets a bit emotional, he, and he's trying to win over this bureaucrat, he sings a song from his kind of grassland home, or he sings a song from his home province about the grasslands, but then says, we never really quite got it because the grasslands are gone. And if you if you know a little bit about the environment in Inner Mongolia, they have that problem. Um, deforestation um, has allowed, uh, this is my understanding, uh, deforestation allowed wind 
to sweep across the plains, I think combined with over-farming, it killed the fertility of the soil and is desertifying Inner Mongolia. I learned about this when I was doing my internship with that Shanghai magazine. I had to interview people from the charity Roots and Shoots who were planting trees out in Inner Mongolia to reverse or at least stop desertification because the trees stop the wind. Um, yeah, so there, there's an example of climate change or humans wrecking the environment in one way or the other that relates to Chen Sa'an's own background herself. So yeah, uh, I don't think I have any other particularly deep takes on the play. So let's move on to the words of the day, the thing I'm trying to remember to do for every episode. So I've got a beginner level one and I've got a more tricky one. Beginner level one, I'll bet a lot of uh, this show's listeners already know. So hot pot is huo guo, uh, huo being fire, guo being a wok, a pot. If I'm sure you know what Chinese hot pot is. If you don't, how can I describe this as concisely as possible? You have a big pot, uh, you put it on a heat source of some sort, you sit around it, you make a broth in the pot, you and then you kind of order, you pick and choose meat, veggies, tofu to be cooked in the pot, and then you pluck it out and you put it on your plate and you eat it. I probably explained that to a bunch of people who didn't need it to have it explained to them. But yeah, that's the entry-level vocab. Our harder vocab is the name of China's patents, copyrights, uh, whatever, um, office, institution? Anyway, um, Chen Zan, when she was trying to explain that China's not really that different from other countries when it comes to patents and climate change and whatnot, she stressed that this Chinese institution is much the same as ones you'd find in the UK. But she didn't name it. Um, and of course, its English name and its Chinese name are not identical and they can't have the same acronym. So it took me a little bit of a struggle to find its Chinese name using English language search terms in Google. But I found it and I'm going to try and read the characters now. Uh, wish me luck. Zhonghua Renmin Gonghe Guo Guo Jia. I'm going to fall down here because I've forgotten the pinyin. Chuanju. Ban Chuanju. Okay, start again. Zhonghua Renmin Gonghe Guo Guo Jia. Ban Chuanju. Yes. So. Zhonghua Renmin Gonghe Guo, that is the People's Republic of China. And then Guojia, that's national. Banchuan, that'll be copyright. Ju is office of, I guess. Uh, if I've got that grievously wrong, do contact the show by uh, Twitter at Angus Likes Words or Instagram, IG, Trichific, T R C H F I C, and give me a good scolding, because I need to be scolded. It keeps me going. So I've plugged the social media, now I'm going to plug the um, Patreon and the Buy Me A Coffee again. Please do support the show if you enjoy it. It helps me helps me keep going, of course, but there isn't much better way that you can support the show. It is subscribing to it and listening to it. We're on all your favourite podcast providers. Please tell your friends, tell your local patent office, tell your dog, just like I've told my dog today now that I'm back home with him in Dundee. Just tell everyone. Download every episode, it's really good for my stats, and it makes me feel warm inside. Um, do tune in to the next episode too, I imagine that will be coming out not too long after this one comes out. Come has come out. It will be on the Moss Flow, which is a particularly interesting piece of translated Chinese fiction, because it's not translated into English. This is a special one, it's Water Margin, but in Scots, and as a Scot, I'm going to do my best to read it to you, although I have to be honest, I've had a look, and some of it is Scots that would be a bit awkward for me to read, because it's not necessarily modern Scots, it's a bit more holy and folksy, and at points, mythic, so a really cool thing that I am probably going to botch reading to you all, so something to look forward to for episode 13. Also, don't forget, on the Patreon, I'm going to be giving my thoughts on all the delicious hot pot you can eat in Edinburgh. I'm definitely going to 
make one of these little bonus shows for every main show I do. So I really hope you do check those out, but if you don't want to, I certainly can't force you, and if I told you it was life or death, I would be lying. So just do as you please, and until next time you tune in, Zai Jian. Just like.